Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Due to budget cuts, the gourmet food section on Hot Dog on a Stick, an American classic, had to be canceled. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, and it is a very early Tuesday morning, September 15th. This show is 100% pre-recorded because, as you're listening to this, I am probably just clearing customs and getting back into the country, returning from my trip to Germany, so better safe than sorry. And no, I didn't want to deal with jet lag. All right, in uh, tonight's show, though, we're going to deal with... with the tobacco history again in Pipe Parts. My guest tonight is Dan Johnson, and Dan is one of the primaries of the Standard Tobacco Company. They're doing some really cool stuff, so we'll talk to him. And uh, not only that, he's a member of the forums, too. Uh, Mailbag, an interesting mailbag of sorts. Music and rant, all that coming up tonight on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Um, maybe, uh, maybe those of you that uh, that have gone through this before will understand this, but now that we're completely empty nesters, uh, it used to be that I had to get the trash out once a week. If we didn't, if we missed a week of taking the trash out, it could be a bit of a problem getting all the trash out. Well, you take one person out of out of the house and uh, apparently she was generating the bulk of the trash because the last couple of weeks man we could go two or three weeks without taking out the trash taking out the recycling just uh just a little observation but apparently um when you go from three to two it cuts your trash down by like 75 percent or uh maybe it's just because i haven't been home much no i've been home plenty anyway Enough of that. We'll get the show going. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company. And here we go. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history... Educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes. I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Welcome back. All right, let's get through some more tobacco history. Uh, When last we left off, baseball cards had basically been uh, born. But of notice, in 1880, Bonsack Machine is granted the first cigarette machine patent. And then uh, 1881, Buck Duke enters the manufactured cigarette business, moving 125 Russian Jewish immigrants to Durham, North Carolina. The first cigarette is the Duke of Durham brand. Uh, Duke's factory produces 9.8 million cigarettes, 
or 1.5% of the total market. Uh, in 1884, this is somewhat important to what's going on in the tobacco world now. Duke heads to New York City to take his tobacco business national and form a cartel that eventually becomes the American Tobacco Company. Uh, Duke buys two Bonsack machines, getting one of them to produce 120,000 cigarettes in 10 hours by the end of the, by the end of the year. In this year, Duke produces 744 million cigarettes, more than the national total one year earlier. Uh, Duke's airtight contracts with Bonsack allow him to undersell all competitors. Uh, He was ruthless, and you'll see going forward what happened to him. In 1887 in Palestine, a traveler reports that the Arabs of the Syrian desert get giddy and headaches from a few whiffs of tobacco they smoke a local plant that's got a name that i can't pronounce wonder if that could be the beginning of uh latakia uh in 1887 advice from the cigar and tobacco price list of m breitweiser and brothers of buffalo item number five if you think smoking if you think smoking injures your is injurious to your health stop smoking in the morning (laughs) okay in 1887 usa two men held pipe smoking contests that lasted one and a half hours victory was declared when one man filled his pipe for the 10th time his opponent did not that's completely different than the pipe smoking contest we have now Uh, In 1887, Connerton's Tobacco Brand Directory of the United States lists St. Louis as number one in tobacco output. I wonder why. In 1889, uh, the five leading cigarette firms including W. Duke, Sons & Company, Unite, James uh, Buck Duke, Duke emerges as the president of the new American Tobacco Company. In 1890, peak of chewing tobacco consumption in the U.S., three pounds per person. Pushing forward in uh, 1890, Sir James Barry writes, My Lady Nicotine. And in 1894, Brown and Williamson is formed as a partnership in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, making mostly plug, snuff, and pipe tobacco. Notice, not one mention of cigarette tobacco there. And now we turn the century into the 1900s. And in uh, 1900, consumption is 4.4 billion cigarettes. The anti-cigarette movement has destroyed many smaller companies. Uh, Buck Duke of Duke Energy is selling 9 out of 10 of the cigarettes in the U.S. 1900, R.J. Reynolds reluctantly folds his company into Duke's Tobacco Trust. And in 1900, there are approximately 300,000 cigar brands on the market. Could you imagine walking into a cigar store and the humidor's got 300,000 different cigar brands in it? And there was probably only eight eight pipe tobaccos. Uh, 1901, Duke fuses his Continental Tobacco and American Tobacco Companies into Consolidated Tobacco. I wonder if that name pops up again coming forward. And as we roll further into the 1900s, there's a lot of cigarette stuff in here that I'm going to skip over, except there's one fun one here in uh, Kansas where they made it illegal to spit. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, legislation. Uh, the Kansas legislature enacts the slobbering bill prohibiting spitting tobacco on floors, walls, or carpets in churches, schools, or public buildings. I'm glad they mentioned walls. That's highly important. Uh, 1904, New York City, a woman is arrested for smoking a cigarette in an automobile. You can't do that on Fifth Avenue, the arresting officer says. And uh, it's not coming too far back around to that here, with the way the state of New York is going. And finally, in 1908, we get some pipe tobacco news, and it is that R.J. Reynolds releases Prince Albert Pipe Tobacco, the Joy Smoke, 
Catapulting Reynolds to a national market. Yay, finally we get some pipe tobacco news. And in 1911, uh, Buck Duke's company is broken up under the antitrust, and it breaks up into Liggett Myers, Lorillard, American Tobacco, and R.J. Reynolds, and it just divvies up all the cigarette brands, and R.J. Reynolds ends up becoming the biggest out of all of those. In 1912, George Wellen puts his United Cigar Stores, which some of you old-timers may remember, uh, puts the company under a holding company, Tobacco Products Corporation, and starts buying small tobacco independents. Uh, United Cigar Stores ended up being almost a national chain of uh, great cigar shops, did a little bit in pipe tobacco. Uh, in 1912, the sinking of the Titanic, men in tuxedos are observed smoking cigarettes as they await their fate. I guess if you're going to go down, you may as well go down smoking. And a couple more here real quick. In 1919, Vice President Thomas Marshall says what this country really needs is a good five-cent cigar. And last but not least, just because it's interesting... In 1919, George Wellen of the United Cigar Stores, George Wellen Tobacco Products, picks up tiny U.S. Philip Morris company, including Philip Morris's brands Cambridge, Oxford, Blues, English Ovals, Players, and Marlboro. The new Philip Morris Company Limited, Inc. is incorporated in Richmond, Virginia, and we will save the rest, or save the last for a future episode. In uh, just a minute, my conversation with Dan Johnson. This is Internet Radio. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sutliff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malto Dolce blend in public. Hi, my name is Eileen Sachi from MarketingPipes.com. If you attend the major pipe shows or buy pipes on eBay, chances are you know my dad, Hank Sachi, or eBuyer1932. My dad has been a pipe collector for over three decades and a reseller on eBay for the last 12 years. His new website is MarketingPipes.com. At MarketingPipes.com, you will find high-quality, hand-picked pipes. Carvers, join my dad's vast network of collectors across the globe and let my dad promote your brand. Collectors, consign your pipes at affordable commissions or buy your next collectible pipe at marketingpipes.com. Thank you. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. And joining me on the phone is my guest, Dan Johnson. And Dan has been... Uh, Dan does some stuff that I that we're going to talk about a little bit that has to do with photography because I'm always fascinated, but involved with the Standard Tobacco Company and a whole bunch of other stuff, and many of you may know him as Woods Road on the Pipes Magazine forums. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, did I get that all right? Yeah, yeah, mostly, yeah. Okay, good. <clears throat> all right, so let's start with um, where did you grow up and how did you get started smoking a pipe? Well, I uh, grew up, I was born in Philadelphia, uh, grew up just outside of Philadelphia, and uh, lived there most of my life. Uh, my father smoked a pipe, uh, smoked a pipe before I was born, and continued to smoke a pipe up until I probably when I was around three years old or three or four years old. I, I still remember 
he had a beautiful ceramic ashtray that sat up on a on a high shelf where I couldn't reach it, <laughs> and uh, he had three or four uh, billiards up there, and uh, beautiful beautiful pipes. My father was also an amateur woodworker and really appreciated uh, beautiful wood, and I just remember seeing them up there, and this there was always a a wonderful a wonderful aroma hanging in the air when I. Uh, if I came in the house on a weekend after having been outside all day, and you know, I knew, you know, Dad had been smoking the pipe, and there was there was something very, very relaxing and reassuring about it. Um, at, at some point, my 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 mom convinced him that <clears throat> this would kill the children also, and uh, so uh, I, I would think that that would convince him to keep smoking, but it, it didn't. He uh, he stopped. Uh, I guess probably when I was around four years old or so, but I also had two uh, cousins, my mother's cousins, who also uh, smoked a pipe, and they uh, they continued smoking uh, the rest of their lives, so it was always something. We would go over to their house for the holidays, and, uh, and Cousin Bruce would spark up a pipe. He had a, uh, what were the, uh, what were those inline uh, pipe lighters called, the... Um, Oh, it was like a uh, it was like a tube that opened up in the middle. Oh, um, the trench lighters. Yeah, it wasn't a trench lighter. Um, I've seen them on eBay. Anyway, he had one of those, and a flame would shoot up like four feet in the air and <laughs> light up his face, and then a big a big puff of smoke, and and all the kids would just sit there transfixed. It was it was almost like you're 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 watching a little Hiroshima in front of you, and then this 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 cloud of, of delicious smoke would descend on you, and it really it it almost it transfixed all the kids, and then one by one we'd sort of wake up and go back to what we were doing. So <laughs> <laughs> it's always something we looked forward to. So when did you start yourself? Well, I started smoking cigars uh, before the cigar boom. Uh, back when 858s were $29 a box. Yeah. And um, and every time I went into the uh, into the cigar store, because that's pretty much what they had become by that time, uh, there was always uh, a selection of pipe tobacco. And I'd always pause as I walked by, and I'd think about uh, Cousin Bruce, and i think about my dad and his pipe. And then I would just keep on going, because it was, you know, to a... Um, to a new, to someone who's interested in smoking a pipe who hasn't started yet, it, it's it's a daunting, it's a daunting task. It, it's uh, it's not like picking up a cigar. Uh, yeah. There's there's a ritual involved in it, and at, at that age, I didn't have the time or the patience uh, to do that. So it was um, it was really only about three years ago that I that I picked up a pipe. And I had gotten, I don't know who, one of the uh, mail order catalogs, and they had a sale where they had a oh, some no-name pipe, and it was uh, uh, along with uh, three Sutliff tins of, of your choice. I thought, well, I can't go wrong with this. So I got, uh, what was it, number five, uh, the, uh, the autumn... The, the autumn tobacco, and then um, and then one of the Englishes. I don't think the uh, the eighteen forty nine was out yet, um, but it might have been. Uh, it was blend number five. That's what it was. And uh, and there was enough difference between them that I went back and forth. And I thought, you know, this this is it. This is what I had been looking for in a cigar. And hadn't been able to find there. There was a there was a strata of flavors. Uh, there was a just a much fuller experience, and I was really enjoying that ritual of preparing pipe tobacco, of taking care of the pipe, of cleaning it. Uh, and it's uh, you know it's less it's in, in a lot of ways it's less portable than a cigar. A cigar you can clench between your teeth and go mow the lawn. Um, and I, I can't really do that with a pipe. I, I tried, and I ended up with with a burnt mouth. Uh, so it, it almost forces you to sit down and relax and enjoy. And it's exactly what what I've been looking for for years. I uh, almost mowed over one of my pipes one time. Um, <laughs> anyway, you're uh, so prior to this. 
your professional career, you were a photographer? Still am. Still, still am. am. I, uh, I uh, started working as a photographer while I was still in college. Uh, I had also been working in a hospital for, for about six years, and uh, I was in school for radio, television, and film production and uh, decided that I was probably not going to be the next great director. <laughs> and I probably end up uh, coiling cables for the rest of my life, and, and that's not what I was looking for. So I had taken a couple of visual anthropology classes while I was, I was at Temple University in Philadelphia, and uh, I had always been interested in photography, and one of my cousins, one of the pipe smokers, uh, was a... Uh, was a phenomenal photographer as a hobby, and uh, so he uh, he taught me the uh, the art and magic of working in a dark room, and I fell in love with it uh, when I was in high school. And uh, but nobody ever told me I could make a living at it, and uh, I slowly discovered that, and uh, ended up uh, leaving school about uh, half a semester before graduation, when the uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer offered me a a, a a freelance contract and I figured well that may never happen again uh, and I was right uh, and uh, the rest is history they, they hired me a number of years later and I ended up spending 21 years there as a, as a photojournalist did you go out on assignment to I mean out of the country or just to just stay around the country and within Philadelphia mostly around the Philadelphia area uh, I uh, I did some traveling around the, around the country, worked on some projects that took me around the country, worked on uh, political campaigns that took me to New Hampshire and the primary states. Um, wasn't interested in doing a lot of, uh, a lot of traveling out of the country, uh, mostly because my, my parents were, were getting older and uh, were having some health problems, and, uh, and, then, and then I started a family. And uh, but uh, I what I always found still do fascinating about photography and photojournalism is not the the outwardly exciting things a war uh, disease poverty uh, kids dying of cancer uh, it's the everyday events it's it's the things that that pass most people by and you don't really take a second look at it. And these were the things that really fascinated me, finding those quiet, wonderful moments, a little slice of life in that train that zooms past us every day. And I think that's also one of the reasons I've latched onto the pipe, is that it, uh, it gives you that opportunity to sit back. It gives you an excuse to close your eyes, relax, and watch the world go by and think about it. A little bit, a little bit closer than we do when we're on that express train that's leading Lord knows where. Uh, the re, the what surprised me was your the way you describe stuff is definitely from a uh, from an artistic or director's point of view, and there's I've met a few photographers, and most of them are not really good at descriptive they'd rather take a picture of it and show it to you <laughs> oh uh you know it's um i still have a little bit of the, the filmmaker in me and i and in a lot of ways i uh you know i i wish i was doing that but uh photography is storytelling and uh there, there's elements of storytelling and in all our lives uh, but some of the some of the best storytellers i've ever met are, are photographers they have a uh, they have a wonderful sense of timing, uh, just because they they've watched these little these little micro stories develop in front of them over and over again, and, and you get to a point where you can anticipate the action. You know what's going to happen. You start to see something developing. You pick up your camera. Oh, like you know this this is going to turn into something. It's often a surprise what it's going to turn into, but you, you get a sense of how things are going to evolve. And uh, so yeah, you know just sitting back and observing I think in a lot of ways you know helps helps make you a, a good storyteller um, you know I've, I find that also in in some of the other arts I find that in in chefs I find that that, that people who deal with uh, flavor
and 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 building uh, and building these things are are also really good storytellers. Russ Russ Willett is one of them. You know, Russ Russ deals in in layering flavors and combinations and what happens when you bring these these disparate el- disparate elements together. <clears throat> uh, what what's the synthesis of those things? And uh, I think having it goes both ways. I think having really good storytelling skills uh, helps you be a good tobacco blender. Um, and I think being a good tobacco blender uh, makes you into a good storyteller. Uh, so you know, these interesting little places where things in our lives cross, and uh, those are the those are the interesting the interesting points where things happen. I can see how the pipe fits into that because I can load a bowl and be working on something and then all of a sudden the pipe, that moment or that bowl just turns magical and I can't work or can't move anymore because I've hit that moment, uh, which, yes. makes, which makes it hard to smoke and work sometimes. Yes, so, so often those moments, though, are, are a combination of, of what you're smoking uh, how it's evolved in the bowl, and what you're experiencing, experiencing at that moment, and they're often never repeated. You'll 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 pack that same pipe with the same tobacco and light it with the same lighter, and you won't have that moment again. Um, I think that's one of the wonderful things about about smoking a pipe is it helps conjure up those moments. We're going to take a break right here. We'll come back. We'll talk about the tobacco that's coming out, and uh, we'll talk more about your own pipes and your own pipe smoking. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenay's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell and Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with uh, photographer, pipe smoker, Dan Johnson, not related to Don, uh, just had to slide that one in there a little bit, and I wouldn't imagine, uh, so you started smoking a pipe, you started out with that, with that deal, have you tried different pipes, did you find bents versus straights, your preference? Yeah, you know, I started um, that, that pipe. You know, it was a basket pipe, um, <clears throat> but it, but it was a decent pipe, and I I, I kept. Uh, I didn't know anything about um, you know having a uh, more than one pipe, <clears throat> so uh, you know, I kept uh, <clears throat> cleaning it, refilling it, and you know running into all the problems you run into with that. And then it dawned on me. I said, you know, you know I'm 50, I'm 52 years old, so. I, uh, it doesn't always dawn on me immediately that there's the internet and you can look this stuff up and there's other people who are doing this. So I did that and that's when I discovered uh, Pipes Magazine. And uh, just like I do with a lot of other things, I just lit into it voraciously. And uh, you know, I could, I could see my, my wife's eyes rolling, oh dear Lord, it's another hobby. 
<laughs> Are we going to have to add another house, another room onto the house for for this one? We we have four of them already. <laughs> you know, one is one is full of antique guns. The other is full of ham radio equipment. The other one is full of, you know, the list can go on and on. Actually, my my hobbies uh, tend to be uh, highly regulated by the federal government. I've I've done <laughs> I've done alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. I haven't gotten into explosives yet. Um, I, I was really into uh, fireworks when I was a kid. My, my dad was a was a chemist and uh, wanted me to, to, to go to the, the, the school where he taught. So we thought, oh, the best way to do this, uh, you know, boys love to set stuff on fire and blow it up. So <clears throat> we, we built all kinds of fireworks. And, uh, and I thought briefly about going, getting back into fireworks as a hobby until I also dug into a into a, an online forum, and uh, you, know, you start reading about people who, who blew themselves up, and, and everyone would say, <laughs> "Oh, you know, he he was it's such a shame that we lost him. He was such an expert on this, and um, had such wonderful safety advice for everybody." And I thought, you know, uh, maybe I'll you know I'll stick with photography. Um, you don't hear about photographers blowing up too often. Um, <laughs> now, occasionally, you might break an eyelash. <laughs> that's about it or you know you, yeah um so uh so i found pipes magazine and uh and i really lit into it and just read uh, all these you know the threads going back to the to the beginning of the forum and uh and started finding people there who were uh who were experts in in, in in pipes and tobaccos and who were anxious to to share their knowledge and uh and then discovered this just great <clears throat> group of, of people who became some of my best friends. And it, it's an odd thing. Uh, these are people that you only know over the Internet. Um, the Internet tends to be one-dimensional. If you turn it sideways, it disappears. But out of that uh, has, have grown some of, uh, some of my best friendships. Uh, and, uh, and these are people who have... Uh, who've all uh, helped me along the way uh, to uh, to enjoy uh, pipes and tobaccos uh, to the point where I said, hey, you know what? Um, I think I could do this. <laughs> I think I could uh, <clears throat> I think I could start blending and uh, I was wrong uh, <laughs> but uh, you know people like uh, you know Russ Willette, who was just a uh, he was a legend and uh, I took my blends to him and he was very polite. And uh, but uh, I realized that uh, probably being a blender was not in my uh, was not in the cards for me. So now, how are you involved in the Standard Tobacco Company? <clears throat> well, uh, one of the uh, one of the great people I met on Pipes Magazine is uh, Condor Lover uh, Simon Thurlow. Uh, Simon's a uh, Simon's a Brit uh, here. Working as a uh, working as an attorney and uh, living in New York, I do a lot of work in a lot of my photography is in New York. And uh, I said, hey, I'll, I'll be up in uh, I'll be up in New York next week. He said, oh, you have to stop by. You have to stop by, and we'll, we'll have a pipe. I have a, a roof deck, and we'll uh, you know have a couple bowls and chat. And uh, Simon uh, Simon smokes pretty much one tobacco, which is which is Condor. And uh, I, of course, bring all my pipes and a variety of tobaccos, and uh, I'm really into the whole the whole ritual of preparation and picking the right pipe. And Simon has this little this little Meerschaum cutty and his one tobacco, <laughs> and he says, uh, "So, um, do you like Condor?" I said, "Yeah, tried it." He said, "Well, here you have to you have to try some." <clears throat> and uh, and I did, and I <clears throat> I guess I made an interesting face. And he said, you think that's bad? There's something far worse. <clears throat> I'm not sure that's possible, Simon. <clears throat> he said, no, no, there is. It's called War Horse. Um, in fact, they haven't made it since 1980. And uh, he said, I suspect that's because there, there aren't any customers left. And uh, okay, yeah, right. And uh, so he, he manages to obtain a, a sample. <clears throat> and um, so we're sitting up there on the roof deck a couple weeks later. <clears throat> We both try it, and he said, "Do you think you can make this?" And I said, "Well, we have to figure out what, find out what's in it. A very unique topping." And he said, "Well, I have a, 
I have an acquaintance who runs an analytical laboratory in Israel. They do work for the Mossad. We can send him a sample, and he will not only be able to tell us exactly what is in it, but they'll be able to tell us what the what the leaf is and what country it comes from. I'm like, well, have at it. If that's something that you really want to do, then then be my guest. <laughs> and uh, he does. <clears throat> and he calls me up and he says, here, here you go. And it reads like... Uh, like a uh, like the contents of a super fun site. This <clears throat> is what's in this stuff. Um, it's sort of a, a toss up between a, a spice shop and uh, Love Canal. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well, you know, the uh, the leaf sounds very interesting, but I'm not sure that that we could do this. I think we'd probably be arrested, or at least sued. And um, he said, well, you know, um, what would it take to do this? And I said, well, you know. We'd, we would have to find someone with a with a palette of uh, of enough depth that um, they would be able to translate this into a modern blend. So um, we start thinking about this, and it's like, well, wait a minute. I belong to the Lehigh Valley Pipe Club, and Russ Willett is there for every meeting. We're sort of his guinea pigs. He'll he'll <laughs> trot out his his latest creation. And he'll watch us very carefully. He'll watch our faces. Um, but we, we've we've gotten to know Russ well enough. He's gotten to know us well enough that we're we're pretty honest with him. And we'll say, uh, I don't know, Russ, this kind of sucks. And so you folks never never get to experience those blends. Uh, it's when we all give him two thumbs up. Uh, you know, a couple months later, it shows up in the in the PNC catalog. So I, I hand him this this lump of warhorse. And I say, what's in it? And he looks at it, and he gets a pocket knife out, and he pries it apart. It's a, it's a, it's a true plug made with, with whole leaf. And he starts dissecting it and laying the pieces of tobacco out. He says, well, this is burly. This is a, uh, this is a you know, Virginia, but it's a kind of Virginia we don't grow here. It's, a, it's an African Virginia. And he smells it. And he has not seen this, this uh, shopping list of chemicals and, and herbs that are in this. And he said, oh, you know, I'm smelling, is that valerian in there? I'm like, oh, my God. You know, uh, how does he do this? And, and bit by bit, he, said, he, he, he laid out pretty much what was in this plug of tobacco. And I said, do you, do you think uh, you guys might be interested in manufacturing it? And there was a long pause. And he said, yes, I think we could do this. So then the adventure began. And... Um, I have no idea how to run a company. Simon has no idea how to blend tobacco or how to do product development. And so we really ended up just being the, the perfect team for this. <laughs> uh, he let me do the product development. I let him run the company. And uh, in between, we just laughed about everything. And uh, I called Simon up and I said, hey, I think this is going to work. I think we're going to be able to... Uh, to produce Warhorse, and he just laughed. He said, "You are kidding me!" I said, "No, no. Uh, Russ thinks that uh, Russ thinks it's doable, and he furthermore he thinks that people will like it." <laughs> and that was as much a surprise to Simon as anything else. Uh, so Simon formed our initial company was called the El Crapo Tobacco Company, <laughs> uh, and uh, we kept with that for a while until uh, Pipes and Cigars informed us that they were reticent about putting the word crap on a tin of tobacco. <clears throat> and we hadn't really thought about it up to that point. And uh, we said, yeah, yeah, that, that, that might present a marketing problem. And um, we then transitioned to the name Standard Tobacco Company of Pennsylvania uh, in, uh, in homage to, uh, to Rockefeller and the uh, Standard Oil Company. <clears throat> um, meantime, we're, we're we're looking through the uh, the trademarks database um, at Warhorse. We find out it's available. We, Simon's law partner is a uh, member of the trademarks bar, and uh, that's, <laughs> that's Roger. Nice. We bring Roger in, and uh, Roger is just absolutely amused by this. So he says, so "You guys are going to take these uh, trademarks that have been out of existence for thirty years." <clears throat> And you're going to resurrect the tobaccos that they were attached to. He said, "This is like this is like Jurassic Park." <laughs> <laughs> I 
I said, yeah, I, yeah, I guess it is. Um, you know, um, hopefully the, the tobaccos will be a little bit more friendly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wait a second. The tobacco's bad, and it will eat you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, how, how's that for a business model? Yeah, so um, far, your sales pitch needs a little bit of fine-tuning here, but go ahead. Okay. So, um, so we begin work, and we, we, I, I start talking to Russ. I say, you know, what were the... Um, what were some of the iconic uh, brands that, um, that that have that have gone missing? And we start talking about that, and he said, you know, it, it's it's more than it's more than just a name. <clears throat> uh, these tobaccos and these blends were uh, represent a, a slice of history. They they represent a a, a crossroads in in history and uh, the development of uh, of the pipe tobacco. Uh, industry and these were uh, these were unique blends that uh, flavors that that have disappeared entirely. Uh, we have we have moved on to a different genre of of, uh, of blends and pipe tobaccos. And uh, and so he, he um, Russ said, you know, I'll I'll take this on, but I'm I'm doing this with great trepidation. This is a uh, this is a a, a tremendous the bar is very high on these projects. <clears throat> uh, John Cotton's really represented for 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 Russ uh, the pinnacle of the uh, of the English of the English blends, and uh, and he uh, he said you know these these um, these are these are uh, blends that I smoked uh, in my uh, not in his youth but as a young pipe smoker, <clears throat> and uh, and that he really. Uh, he mourned their loss when uh, when they gradually devolved over time. Uh, when uh, John Cotton sold to uh, to Gallagher's, and then Gallagher's, uh, you know, lost interest in their in their pipe tobacco division. They were cheapened down, and then eventually they ended up with uh, Japan Tobacco, and then shuffled off to to Orlick, and Orlick uh, evolved them into or devolved them into an array of, of aromatics that were nothing like the original Edinburgh blends. And uh, you know, so um, so Russ said, you know, this is this is going to take some work, and I'm not going to do this unless I can do it correctly, unless I can really hit the target on it. And uh, and he did. So, are do we have them on the market now? When are we going to see them? <clears throat> well, well, what? Um, <clears throat> What Russ, uh, what Russ said is okay. Well, the first thing we need to do is, uh, you know, Russ has a has a great memory for for flavors, and he said, oh, you know, I remember smoking these. I I know what they uh, I know what they smelled like. I know how they smoked, uh, but we're going to have to go back and find some reference material. And so I began talking about this on the uh, on the on the uh, Pipes Magazine forum, and bit by bit, people started going into their cellars and pulling out vintage samples of uh, of John Cotton's and Bengal Slices, uh, and uh, Warhorse, and sending us samples. <clears throat> people would send me un- unopened tins from the 50s, 60s, and 70s of uh, of John Cotton's and and uh, and sealed tins of, of Bengal Slices. <clears throat> so we uh, we uh, we collected an array of John Cotton's that went from the 1930s uh, through the 1970s. Uh, we have several iterations of Bengal slices. We have warhorse samples from the 1930s through uh, the last production in 1979 or 1980. <clears throat> and uh, and and that was an interesting process because. Uh, uh, it's something I hadn't realized before. Uh, I had thought about it a little bit. I really hadn't hadn't experienced it. That these these blends all changed drastically over their lifetime. Yeah. Uh, and you think about it, it's an organic product. It's uh, it's 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 a natural item. And uh, as the weather changes, as economies change, as uh, the the economics of producing pipe tobacco change, as the ownership of the companies change, all these blends changed and changed rather dramatically. So we were we were tasked with uh, taking a snapshot <clears throat> of what these blends uh, were and what they represented, and translating them into uh, into a modern product uh, that is reminiscent of, of what they were, and uh, <clears throat> and and that's a that's something that I am I was wholly unfamiliar with. Uh, how how do you go about this? 
and uh, there's a real black art to it. There's uh, <clears throat> Russ is able to, you know, stick his nose into a, into a bag of cut tobacco and say, okay, some of this, some of that, some of this. And uh, if you if you've ever watched a real chef working who doesn't measure anything. Uh, you know that's Russ, and as, as he's doing this, he's he's throwing stuff on the scale and writing down the numbers. Uh, and uh, within a, within a couple tries, uh, he he nailed these things uh, pretty closely. And the the real art is, you know, again, you had to go back and look and find the find the period that you liked, and then figure out what it tasted like when it was brand new because what you were trying now had a whole bunch of age on it. Yes, and they changed dramatically with age. <clears throat> I have a tin of John Cotton's 1 and 2 from the 1970s that a forum member sent me, sealed tin, and uh, we opened it. And it's very interesting tin note. Um, but a lot of that tin note was uh, flavor that had evaporated out of the tobacco, so it's sort of like you know you let the magic out when you when you open the tin. The uh, the Latakias had faded dramatically. Uh, the Virginias had sweetened, uh, but lost their tang. The same with the Orientals. The Orientals had had lost a lot of that that wonderful incense floral uh, taste that they have and aroma. Um, and you sort of have to say, okay, you have to sort of squint. <clears throat> Okay, what was this then? You know, what were those, what were those ratios? That's really more what you're, what you're trying to taste there, uh, is what were, what were the ratios? What kind of tobaccos were these? Uh, it doesn't just jump out and say, oh, okay, you know, let's just duplicate what's here in the tin. So when will we have them available for us to buy and try? Uh, December 1st is what we're looking at right now. The, uh, the tin art is completed. It is now at the printers. The, uh, the recipes are all down at Lane Limited in Tucker, Georgia, <clears throat> and they are uh, assembling the uh, tobaccos needed for them and uh, trying to fit it into their production schedule. So uh, at this point, uh, it's simply a matter of uh, finding time on the production floor to, uh, to blend these together and get them into tins and slap labels on them. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> so, uh, but this is what they're telling me. They're telling me this is going to happen, and uh, it should happen by December 1st. So hopefully Santa Claus can deliver a whole bunch into stockings for all the good boys and girls out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been, uh, I've been sending out uh, review samples here and there to people, and, uh, and the... That's what everybody's saying. When can I when can I buy the tin? You know, I, I want the tin. And there is something about having this 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 wonderful little package. Uh, and and I I've fallen victim victim to it as have a lot of people. Uh, I cleaned up my office last week, and I've got a couple filing cabinets here that used to be full of eight by ten prints. And I've slowly moved that stuff down to the basement. And as I as I open drawers, I keep finding more and more tins that I didn't know I have. And there, there there is something magical about having this this little package. And uh, at Christmas time is a is a great time for that to happen. All these beautiful little perfect objects, and uh, you open it up, and there's something very surprising and wonderful and delicious inside. Dan, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Okay. Yep. What is your favorite pipe? Favorite pipe is a uh, Stanwell uh, 63. <clears throat> I have a uh, deluxe and straight grain that is my best smoking pipe. And, uh, and it's just, I don't, I don't know why. I, I suspect that one of my cousins had one, and I just don't remember it. Uh, but I, I love uh, mid, mid-century Danish design, and the, uh, the Stanwell pipes are such an important part of, uh, of pipe smoking uh, history. And what's your favorite tobacco? Ah, well, that would be the standard tobacco line. I have fallen in love with the, uh, with the three uh, John Cottons, uh, and I can't tell you which one I like more. Uh, on the surface, I like Smyrna the best, but I am, 
I am gaining a great appreciation for the number one mild also. Uh, so uh, that's all I've been smoking for about the last month. And I just keep finding more and more and more in there. What's your favorite drink? My favorite drink is, uh, is a good Belgian beer. Uh, I had the good fortune to spend about a week in Belgium uh, 15 years ago. I have not gotten back there since, but we visit a lot of the, the tiny little uh, breweries that scatter the countryside. And uh, they, they approach brewing beer uh, the, way, uh, the way Russ approaches uh, blending tobacco. Uh, it's all about the flavor. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Oh, uh, music. I, uh, absolutely music. My, my wife is a, uh, amateur cello player. My, my daughter's a wonderful pianist. And one of the most relaxing things for me is I'll be sitting in my office trying to crank out a bunch of pictures for a client, and my wife or my daughter or the two of them together will begin playing. And, uh, suddenly my blood pressure drops by 20 points and the world is okay again. Now, if I could spark up a pipe in the house while that's happening, it would be nirvana. <laughs> uh, uh, any particularly favorite pipe smoking related memory that we didn't talk about? No, I, I, I think, uh, being with family over the holidays and, uh, having my, uh, my mom's cousin's husband, a big smile on his face, spark up that pipe, and uh, and his face lights up, and just all of us kids gathering around watching it, and just that moment of silence, some big puffs of smoke, and he lets out a long stream of delicious smelling smoke, and then we all go back to what we're doing, that everything would just stop in the and he'd get a smile on his face, and then we'd all go back to whatever, to watching TV or whatever. And, and that has really stuck with me. If you would like to see some of Dan's photography, his website is danzphoto, D-A-N-Z-P-H-O-T-O dot net. There's some uh, really cool stuff on there, and then we'll watch out for the uh, new standard tobaccos coming out December 1st. Thank you very much, Brian, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Dan, thanks, thank you, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Craftsmanship, history, tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products, from the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany. Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Baron Tobacco Company, and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. This is Internet Radio. We are back in the wee wee early hours of Tuesday morning recording this. And uh, hey, do make sure and check out Dan's photography and uh, keep an eye out for when the tobaccos come out. All right, for music, I uh, got a suggestion from my friend Dan Locklear. It's for a composer named Walter Piston, and this is a movement from his piece called The Incredible Flautist. Uh, it's just a pretty little piece, and it's, uh, this is just one little two-and-a-half-minute movement. Hope you enjoy it.
I really like music that changes uh, changes intensity, changes tempo, uh, just catches you by surprise. Go back and if you get a chance, listen to the entire uh, to the entire symphony. It's actually it's really beautiful. And hey, I spent some time working to it earlier today. So, Captain, incoming message. Couple of quick things in the mailbag to read. Uh, Jim Carino from the Taps or the Raleigh Pipe Club writes Brian, a great show for the three years that you've been on uh, Pipes Magazine podcast. It has done a world of good for our hobby. To my knowledge, we at Taps have caught all of the shows so far and hope to catch them for another three years and more. Congratulations on a job well done. Thank you very much, Jim. Yeah, hard to believe. Three years down. Uh, what are we going to do for the next three years? Got any suggestions? I uh, did get an email a while back, and I could use your help on this. Uh, listener wanted to know about the tobacco purity laws of England. Remember when they couldn't have any flavored tobacco whatsoever? If any of you know the answer to when that started, what caused it, and when it was overturned, that would be wonderful. I'd appreciate it. And uh, friend Dan Locklear says, uh, Dear Brian, as you know that Blame CDC is trumpeting a survey done that shows support for raising the U.S. tobacco smoking age to 21. Do you know of any effective place where people can write to weigh in on this nonsense? Heaven only knows who participates in these surveys. Uh, For I've never been personally contacted and rather suspect they are strongly weighted with the antis. To have an email or mailing address, if responses would be taken seriously, might be of help to many and conveyed from your radio show. Just a thought. Uh, Dan, I looked around and I can't find anything for the CDC that says public comments here. All I can say is if, if they're looking at doing a federal age increase to 21, that would be the... Uh, U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives, so once again, we need to email them. Uh, I do know the state of Hawaii, I believe, just went to 19 years old. Uh, Last thing that Dan also mentioned in regards to uh, the FedEx news, uh, letters to Cigar Aficionado. A letter to the editor of Cigar Aficionado would be a uh, good way to help fight this. And he's right. Lots of cigars are mail-ordered, so there you go. All right, in just a minute, rant time. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for cupofjoes.com. CupofJoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. CupofJoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson Pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly Pipes. Check out their remodeled website at CupofJoes.com and be sure to like them on Facebook, CupofJoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. Boy. 
So in last week's show, I played that uh, that interview with Apollo's Hester, the uh, the inspirational young football player. Well, I thought you know, as I'm skimming around you on uh, as I'm skimming around Facebook, which you can follow me on Facebook and follow the Pipes Magazine Radio Show on Facebook and all that. Uh, I'm skimming around there and I'm looking around and. You know, there's a ton of all these uh, street fight videos and stuff that are on Facebook, and I watch them occasionally just to see what it is. Well, what is wrong with people that instead of going to get help to stop it or getting involved to stop it, what does everybody do now? They take out their take out their their smartphones and start recording it. Now, if you want to see a fight, you can see six or seven different versions of it, all on Facebook or YouTube, all right there for you to view, because instead of getting involved to try to stop it, what's the first thing everybody does? Hey, they whip out their smartphone and uh, start posting it on Facebook right away. Well, shows what uh, humanity's gotten down to. Uh, None of us pipe smokers would ever do that. And uh, speaking of pipe smokers, forgot to mention it, there is a brand new, brand new HH blend from McBaron that was just released yesterday on the market. It is the HH Pure Virginia. It's a hot pressed Virginia and it is smooth as silk. So if you get a chance, I'd appreciate it if you give it a try and uh, see what you think. All right, next week's show, next week be back here live at home and i'll update you on the uh, dortmund trip and how everything went in germany we'll uh, update you on uh, travel schedules please if you get a chance make sure and leave us a rating or review on itunes we would appreciate that stitcher Podkicker, wherever you can rate and review the pipes magazine radio show tell all your friends about it got any questions email them to me Brian at PipesMagazine.com or you can post them right there on the forums. And hey, next week we'll get caught up with all the uh, mailbag stuff. So, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Dan for joining me. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company and until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy This concludes our broadcast day.